0: Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making just keep ar- it simple. Uh, I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Bravo, bros. Good job. Welcome to Passionate World Talk Radio. Educate, enlighten, entertain.
1: Hello, I have a disclaimer. Any information discussed in this interview may not be the views of the station or host. Please discuss any advice with your primary care physician And I'm going to add, due to the nature of what we will be talking about, please consult your attorney for any and all legal advice. Hi, everyone. This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy on Passion World Talk Radio, where our mantra is to educate, enlighten, and entertain. Folks, you're going to want to listen to my guest today. Actually, so listen to all my guests, if I have to say so myself. I have with me today Leonie Rosenstill. I hope I'm saying your last name correct, who is author of Protecting Mama Surviving the Legal Guardianship Swamp. Leonie Rosenstill regularly coaches and consults with individuals and families. She is going to be offering online courses and doing a summit, and Leonie will be giving her email. So, and it will be in the blog, so you can contact Leonie because her website, her new website, is not up yet. Uh, but definitely you're going to be wanting to be interested in these courses. There's one called A Roadmap for Adult Children, and there's one for Baby Boomers and those who love them. And I just love what Leonie is doing. So I want to welcome Leonie Rosenstill to Chatting with Betsy. Thank welcome, you, Betsy. Leonie. Thank you, Vitsa. You're welcome. Did I say your last name correctly?
2: You're fine. It's Rosenstein. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm in New Jersey. We pronounce names different. (laughs) Um, I'm going to ask you, what I ask all the authors that come on my show, and that's what motivated you to write your book.
2: Well, I promised my mother I would, (laughs) and I promised my mother I would try to help other people avoid some of the things that happened to us and to our family in the course of her getting older and having more problems and creating more problems by trying to avoid admitting she had any problems, as very often happens.
1: Yes, yes. And people get confused between the guardianship Power of attorney conserva- conservatorship. I want to say that. Um, and you know, like I, I say it all the time, and I know it probably sounds redundant, but when your loved one gets diagnosed, or even before your loved one gets diagnosed, it's very important to get power of attorney for medical and financial. And I highly recommend everyone going to an attorney at elder law attorney, because once you get into, once they become incapacitated, then you have to go for guardianship or conservatorship. That's very, very expensive.
2: Well, it is. And actually, um, you cannot get a power of attorney after someone has questions about their mental capacity because it can be challenged in court. Somebody may disagree. They don't want you personally to take care of it. And they can go to court and say, this person really didn't have good judgment when they made that designation, when they picked that person. And so let's just tear it all up. And they do. It happens regularly. And actually, there's a case in New Mexico now where there's someone whose mother was getting a little forgetful, and he took her to an attorney, and the attorney decided that uh, he should not have the power of attorney. They went to get a power of attorney. Neither one of them apparently paid the mother. I'm just, this is a secondhand story from one of the participants. And uh, he tried to get the guardianship. They would not give it to him. They gave it to a third party who was a commercial guardian. Now, I had a power of attorney for my mother for nine years, and I used it, and there were never any problems, but there became problems after she really lost the ability to think clearly, and once that happens, sometimes they void the powers of attorney in court too, that they don't keep them, they don't they don't name that person, even though the person in the power of attorney says, if something happens to me, I want that person to become the guardian. Very often that doesn't happen anymore. A judge simply decides that somebody else gets it, and somebody else gets it. And it's usually a commercial firm, and it was that way with uh, with my family as well, that my mother did come under the control of a commercial guardian for almost nine years as she was that's continuing pretty scary her, oh it was a long process when she had dementia she had had dementia and she did not come under the guardian's control until about nine years into the dementia and they said oh no no she's not going to live more than two or three years more we know and it was nine years later and they were wrong. They were very, very wrong, I think, about a number of things. That was one of them. Mama so, was a, a few weeks shy of her 101st birthday when she passed on. Wow.
1: Wow, that's a good long life. So how, how did that happen? Because, you know, people think, I, I, I know I thought, and thankfully I didn't have any problem, I had power of attorney. I went as soon as my husband was diagnosed, and he was, you know, very much knew what was going on. So, how does someone say, "Oh no, this power of attorney, uh, you can't be power of attorney"? Who who's who is able uh, to do that? There
2: are several ways that it can happen. One of them is that the person can be influenced to change it by either a social worker or a caregiver, and I've seen that happen a lot, or family members who just uh, decide they want control or they want some control, and they don't also understand what the ramifications are if they suddenly get involved. I had some relatives. Uh, one of them was my mother's sister, but she was already not entirely with it and so one of her daughters decided she was going to uh (laughs) I, i don't know she was going to change how things came out and she did but not in the way that she anticipated she anticipated taking over which was not possible because she lived in another state now very often um States don't allow people from other states to come in and become guardians for somebody, and there there are some good reasons for that because I have a friend who is uh, the guard, the guardian of the of the person of her father who lives a thousand miles away, and she finds it very difficult to get information about him, and she's very sorry that she left him in the place that he was living and didn't bring him much closer to her because they're not that communicative with her. He's in an assisted living facility, and they just don't want to communicate, and she's ended up going back and forth several times, sometimes for a month or more at a time. And you can imagine what kind of a strain that puts on your other relationships if you're not actually taking care of the person in the person's home and someone else is taking care of them.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned... They can be influenced by others because I just interviewed someone last week who had power of attorney of her dad and a caregiver that was taking care of her dad was influencing him and she lost power of attorney.
2: Mm-hmm. It's very, very easy. And sometimes it's not supposed to be done that way. I mean, there are supposed to be ethics in the home care profession where the person who's taking care of the individual does not meddle in their financial affairs, does not meddle in their family affairs, does not try to do that kind of thing and influence the person to take power. But it's apparently quite tempting to a lot of people. My mother had a caregiver who wanted to inherit her house. And did not, because my mother never changed any paperwork, and so she thought that the commercial people who were coming in were going to quote-unquote side with her, and so that became an issue. And it had nothing to do with the case, because I had no reason to want my mother's home. I had a home. I was living there with my husband. I did not need a second home to live in. And it was just a completely wrong-headed assumption that this person made, because obviously it was something she wanted. Not something I wanted, something she thought I should have wanted. But it becomes an issue when people do that because they are there day to day and they're very close to the person and it can seem like a threat that they might leave and then the person would be all alone and unable to take care of themselves if the caregiver left. And so the caregiver becomes a very important person. And there are some services that deliberately change off caregivers every so often to prevent that happening. And I understand why they do that because it it does prevent some of this control aspect.
1: Yes. Yes. There is, it's pretty um, scary when you think of, you know, caregivers coming in and the potential for uh, abuse and not just, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, emotional abuse of saying to the person, I'm the only one who can take care of you. You know, you can, trust me, so-and-so, you know, your daughter, your son doesn't care about you. And then that person can develop probably what they've known as Stockholm syndrome. You know, it's like you believe your your kidnapper. Well, you believe the the caregiver.
2: Well, who's with you 24-7? Your caregiver.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And the the son or daughter is profoundly shocked when this happens. I know I was. And I only lived about two and a half miles from my mother's home. I could be there in five minutes. But you're still not there 24-7. And the caregiver is, and the caregiver can say, you know, if I weren't here to take care of you, you would die. And from a practical point of view, if they can't make their own food and they can't go shopping, that's technically true, but there are dozens of other caregivers that could come in and help. But the person who's not thinking straight doesn't think that way. The right. logic isn't right. there anymore.
1: Exactly. And you can't reason with someone who doesn't have the capacity to, to reason logically. Um, How did uh, did you eventually get control of your mom's uh, guardianship or power of attorney again? I
2: I lost control of the guardianship. I didn't have a guardianship. I never had a guardianship. I had the power of attorney, and the court voided the power of attorney. Right. Uh, They they actually said that my mother had done that before. There was a a hearing for... um, uh mental function uh questions and be- just before the hearing my mother uh f- they said my mother tore it up i could not find validation for you know what they were talking about and when they were talking about it so all i know is at some point just before the hearing somebody decided that i shouldn't have the power of attorney anymore and so when we got to the hearing, they, oh, well, she's already voided it. She did it last week. But there was always a question, a really serious question, that my attorney did not raise. And I discovered later probably part of the reason was that she was literally being paid by the guardian and at the time. Uh, she should have raised the question that, you know, this, this question has been an issue since six months ago, and so if the question of whether she has capacity uh, was already under question six months ago, then last week it was already under question. I mean, that's the so kind what, of thing that's the kind of thing an attorney, you know, I think, ought to raise at a hearing. So but the, my, mine did not.
1: Uh, so with the power of attorney taken away from you, and someone uh, getting guardianship. Did they prevent you from seeing your mother and from uh, being involved in her medical care?
2: Absolutely, for almost three years. I I was never involved in her medical care again, and I uh, did not have any control over her finances. I could make statements and request that they do certain things, but that doesn't mean that they did them. They did not. Uh, they said it was a HIPAA violation to give me any information about my mother. And that happens a lot. Yeah, uh, There, there yeah. was a case in New Jersey uh, back at the beginning of COVID. There was a gentleman who had been taken care of by his son and his daughter, and ultimately the two of them couldn't care for him anymore and allowed the state of New Jersey to take control of him as a guardian. And the state put him immediately into a care home, and they continued to visit him, of course. The whole family continued to visit him, and then when COVID started, they locked everything down. And once that happened, the two children, the two adult children, could get no information about their father. They couldn't speak to him on the phone the uh, home would not give them any information. They said it was a HIPAA violation, and they were only allowed to give information to the, to the appointed guardian from the state. They called, kept calling the appointed guardian, and the appointed guardian did not call them back. So they had no information for weeks and weeks and weeks. Finally, the guardian called them and told them, I think you should know that your father was buried two weeks ago. What? I mean, can you imagine something more shocking to an adult child than a phone call like that?
1: That's awful.
2: I can't, that is really I can't imagine awful. it. But, uh, you know, that happens, and it happens more often than people realize.
1: That is awful. How does someone or can someone prevent that from happening?
2: Well, there are some ways to help to prevent it, and one of them is to do away with the secrecy that surrounds this process. There's a problem in that some people say it's a HIPAA violation for anyone to know about another person's mental health without their permission. But, of course, if you're bringing in an outside expert or two to evaluate somebody, uh, someone has already been advised that there's an issue, and it's not someone within the family, and it's not private anymore um it took some legislation in new mexico to say that a judge was even allowed to open anything relating to a guardianship because it had become so secret they call it sequestered material it's secret all the hearings were secret and the name of the person was not divulged, the name of the inter- what they call the interested party, which would be the adult children or the or the spouse, um, those were not divulged to the public. Uh, there are what they call published calendars, court calendars, and it would say guardianship case, and then everything else would be X'd out, and it wouldn't say who was involved. It might say the name of one attorney, but that doesn't tell you who the person is. And they would not allow anyone into the hearing. And when things are that secret, it becomes very tempting for people to try to manipulate them to their advantage. And the people who manipulate them are usually commercial entities within that field. That's been my experience, and it's been the experience of maybe 100 families or more whom I've spoken to. And some experts as well are aware that there are these, like, cabals or, or not really secret org- – I don't know if they're secret organizations, but they're associations of people who are manipulating the situation for their own benefit.
1: So not when you talk about – right. So when you talk about a commercial, do you mean like a nursing home facility or maybe um, – a nursing care agency,
2: Well, it, or it, me. It, it can it can vary because individuals can be associated with each other. A, a guardianship agency can be associated with a nursing home facility, or be friendly right. with the head of the of the nursing home facility. I mean, there are so many ways that people, you know, people get together and decide. Well, we're going to do this, and it's going to be easy to do that and there are a lot of a lot of cases in which it seems and i can't prove it that there is some judicial input here too um judges tend to accept the word of people they know and of course if you are a member of the general public you probably never had Any contact with that judge, you've never seen him, you've never met him. You had absolutely no contact with him, and he doesn't know you from Adam. But he knows the head of the guardianship firm. He sees that person three times a week in his court, and maybe other times not in his court. I mean, there are some judges who go to the guardianship association meetings and speak, and they meet all the guardians there. From their, from their vicinity. Uh, you, I mean, that's a normal human thing, that the judge hears guardianship cases and the guardianship association would ask a judge they know hears guardianship cases to come and address them. So you can't really say it's some kind of you know, dire, underhanded plot. It could become that way if the people involved are not honorable.
1: So when someone obtains guardianship, Um, you know say okay you had her attorney of your mom and then that got um, liquidated I'll say and she had gotten a guardianship can it must take a lot of time and money and effort to overturn that is it possible to overturn a guardianship
2: um, very rarely. Did you you saw the case with Britney Spears? That was the same yeah. thing in California. They call it a conservatorship. <laughs> Some states have different words for it. It's the same function. It took her years to get out of that. Do you have any idea yeah. what her legal expenses were likely in that in that time frame? I know during my mother's case, I did try for a while to get it back, and I had I could not continue it was over a hundred thousand dollars that i paid during her guardianship just to maintain access to her so i could see her that is horrendous i needed an attorney to protect me against the guardian
1: that That is that and yeah and the guardian that if i remember correctly um do you get paid.
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Generally, by the person's least, estate. Yes, at least $50,000 a year, generally. If they have any money, it's going to go to the Guardian. Oh, wow. This was back around 2009, 2010. It's more now. I mean, everything has gone up. I'm sure their fees have gone up. I actually heard about one guardian, I think it was in Pennsylvania, who was charging $600 per hour as a guardian. Wow. And that was, when I heard that, I was shocked. I thought my mother's guardian was expensive for what they were doing. But um, I thought that was just unbelievable. $600 an hour is, a, you know, it's like paying a good, a decent attorney.
1: Wow. Well, it um, mm-hmm. mind
2: what these people will charge. And they have to have the agreement of the court because they have to submit reports every year. And the court just rubber stamps, oh, yes, that's what it costs, that's what it costs, that's what it costs. And the more years that adds up, the more it adds up. I mean, it really, really uh, heaps itself up as, as, a, as a stack of money that's going out to these people. Uh, wow. There needs to be, uh, I have a friend in England who was telling me that the English system has a cap on how much a guardian can earn. And I don't know whether that's realistic, but the problem is if all the expenses are approved in advance by a judge, you can't argue with them later. A lot of people say, well, let's get all of the expenses approved. First of all, you don't know what all the expenses are going to be because you're dealing with someone fragile. You don't know if they're going to have a medical incident and need to go to the hospital and it might, you know, not all of it's going to be paid by Medicare. You're going to pay pay some of it for the ambulance. You're going to pay some of it for some of the medical attention in the hospital because Medicare isn't going to pay for everything. So you can't plan that in advance. And if, right. if the guardian's not allowed access to any money except what the judge approves in advance, how is that going to be paid? So I, I, I'm kind of uh, stumped by, you know, making a cap on... Expenses. I can understand a uh, cap on, you know, what percentage of the, uh, of the person's estate the guardian can be paid in a given year, but that tends to make them like an investment advisor and then they charge for that as well if the person has any money. And so you're double paying people. Right,
1: yeah. right. I just want to tell the audience, you know, there's some situations, Where somebody needs a guardian. And, you know, we're not saying all guardianships are are bad or horrible. We're not saying that. I want to just encourage the audience do your homework. And, um, you know, before you become a guardian or or you get someone to become a guardian for your loved one, do your research. And because there
2: are. are The ones who are good probably deserve halos. The ones who are not are epic epic fails. They are really right. really bad news for all concerned. Right,
1: and unfortunately, there's bad apples in every profession. Let's you know, let's face it. Um, and you know, you just hope. That's why you got to do your your research on finding, if you need one, a uh, you know a guardian ship person who is of um, good reputation. Um, I, how does someone go about looking to see if these people have uh, a good reputation?
2: Um, well, you can try the internet. There are lots of complaints about guardians on the internet. They're all over the internet. In fact, a few years ago, there were over 8.5 million websites complaining about commercial guardians. And if even half of them are true, that's still a lot of complaints. And in the United States, there are 1,000 certified commercial guardians. So that's a lot of complaints per guardian if they're true.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's... You know, after, it, it after is Brittany scary. Fears,
2: there are even more complaints because there are more websites of people who are aware of guardianship issues.
1: Well, that's, um, you know, that's food for thought, Leonie. Um, You know, no one thinks really that they'll need a guardian or that they'll get their power of attorney taken away from them. Um and it has caused big rifts in families where someone will say, you know, I don't want you to have power of attorney over mom or dad, and then they go to court, and then that other sibling could get guardianship. I'm sure it's caused a big rifts in a lot of families.
2: It has definitely fractured a lot of families. And maybe if there's, there's a way of avoiding toxic secrets, within a family, that I try to help people identify and fix before you get to that, to that phase of things, that people are all on the same page and understand each other. Because if they don't, yes. they will likely all lose control. <coughs> Somebody else from the outside will be brought in.
1: Yes, communication, um, and I've said this many times, it's very important. You know, I, I feel this way. When someone has power of attorney, they should keep the family members informed. And there's no excuse unless that person just doesn't want to talk to you. There's video conferencing. You can text. I mean, there's ways to communicate. And that's what families need to do. Because I think it's when a family member, you know, keeps things secret from the other family members, then those family members can get, you know, suspicious and think, oh, you're taking mom's money or dad's money, and, you know, then a big fight ensues, and then before you know it, you're getting your power of attorney taken away. Um, I'm very fortunate I didn't have that problem. My husband had power of attorney of his mom, and his siblings didn't, you know, contest that or anything. Um, Nobody was going to give me a problem about my husband because he really didn't have anyone to fight <laughs> right. uh, with me about it. But, uh, and, you know, it's, it, it is a, really a, a something to think about and definitely food for, for thought. Um, do you have advice for families facing guardianship?
2: Um, we can talk about that. I mean, that's, that's a long conversation and it depends on the individual circumstances. One thing is uh, never assume that the people who are going to benefit from your loved one being in a guardianship are telling everybody the same story. Because in my experience, they're not, and they tend to say negative things to one person about another person, and then they go to the second person and say negative things about the first person, because it's to their benefit to do so. And unless those people are able to communicate with each other, they'll never know what the other person said about them, what they were told about them. And if these records had to be public, everybody would know, which is one good reason to make these things public, these cases public, these documents public. It took me five years after Mama died to get the documents released so I could fulfill my vow to her and write that book, because they had them all sequestered. They were all kept secret and they would not allow anybody to say anything or to publish anything about them. I was under a gag order for that time, and I could not publish anything. I could not speak in public about my mother. I couldn't mention that I had a mother. How is that reasonable? How is that even possible in our country that the the court says, Oh, you don't have a mother anymore. In fact, you never did, and you can't speak about ever having her. Uh, That is outrageous. That's as outrageous as not telling someone their parent died. I mean, it's just unforgivable and needs to stop. And I did a, a research project a while back they opened up they said they opened up the dockets for guardianship cases and i took a look at some of the ones in new mexico and about 40% of them had what they called secrecy orders or protective orders preventing people from speaking about what was going on in the case or divulging any documents i know i know someone <laughs> i know someone it's not really funny at all But they said she could have the documents to um, look. She she was uh, concerned about all the money that had vanished. And they said, well, we'll give you the documents. And so when they gave her the documents, they made her sign an agreement that she couldn't even show them to a CPA, much less a forensic accountant. And she wasn't an accountant. She was a writer. They said, if you show these documents to anybody including your attorney, uh, we will put you in jail or fine you for contempt of court. I'm thinking, you know, there's no way that an individual with no training is going to look at financial documents of that complexity, this is like several years' worth of financial documents. How is she going to be able to look at them and evaluate them? She can't. And they gave her three days to do it. Obviously, they did not intend her to complete that assignment. This is, the courts do this because of the secrecy. If they had to do this in open court, something, something like that, which is, to me, very abusive, oh, yeah, you want the documents? Here's the documents, but you won't be able to use them for anything. Now we can say that we fulfilled our obligation to give you all the information you wanted, but you can't do anything with it. What kind of nonsense is that? I'm going to be polite. What kind of nonsense is that?
1: Yeah, that's, um, well, that's a big, I had no other term for it, but a very big legal mess. (laughs) I'll I'll be very gentle. <laughs> right um,
2: I was too, yes,
1: you'd be yes, um, wow, you know, like some you know this is why I had people like you on Leone to open people's eyes to realize you know, like what goes on, um what can go on, and you know, I highly recommend for for people to to read your book and get in touch with you. Your book is available on Amazon, Leonie.
2: Yes, it absolutely is. It's called Protecting Mama and if you just go to Amazon and look up Protecting Mama, you will find it. And it is and definitely there and ready to be read by anyone who wants to see what the playbook is when people are doing things that probably should not be done anywhere to anybody. But they have they have free reign to do it. They have range, they are allowed to do it by judges and i do not think judges would do this if they had to do it with an audience and i'll tell you why because i had a gag order and the gag order was dragging on and dragging on and dragging on and i i was afraid to go out i couldn't talk to anyone i couldn't have anyone in my home because if they saw anything that was related to my mother and they were called on the on a witness stand at a at a hearing and asked, what did they see in my home? And they said they saw X. Oh, that was related to the mother. She should never have let that person see that thing. And I'm thinking, you know, this is a terrible way to have to live in our country because it's like you're living in another society. You're not free. You don't have freedom of speech. You don't really have freedom of association. My CAG order, which I firmly believe was unconstitutional, forbade me to speak to my legislators that's one fundamental aspect of our bill of rights that you're allowed to petition your legislators you're allowed to speak to your legislators Uh, that a judge should feel empowered to say to somebody okay you don't live in the united states anymore you live in my little territory and i'm controlling every action of yours i don't think that should be permitted But it wouldn't be permitted if he had to do it in secret, you know, outside of the secrecy aspect. And I'll tell you what changed that was um, the local newspaper, the Albuquerque Journal, started to run a series on guardianship. This was back in 2016. And at that point, my case was going through the court process. And I was not allowed to speak to anybody. And I would get calls from journalists from all over the country, uh, you know, speak to me. I heard about your case. Speak to me. I, I could not answer emails. They somehow got my email from somebody and emailed me. I couldn't answer them. They left messages on my phone, and I couldn't answer them. Well, um, the Albuquerque Journal was interested, but I couldn't talk to them either. So... Ultimately they filed what's called an amicus brief in the case because I had been petitioning the judge for years please take away the secrecy uh requirement please lift the gag order because mama's been dead for i don't know it it depended from for 5 years she was she had passed away 5 years before the judge would lift the gag order so uh the albuquerque journal got involved filed what was called an amicus brief saying, we think this information is also in the public interest and the public would benefit from knowing what happened here. And there had been a previous case in Albuquerque of another family that was under a gag order and one of the members was fined an exorbitant amount of money in the hundreds of thousands of dollars for speaking to somebody outside the case. And I believe he was also jailed for a period of time. And by the time that the case went to the Supreme Court of New Mexico, the case was over because it takes time to go through that process. Well, this was the second case the same year. And the judge involved said, well, the Albuquerque Journal's involved, I guess I'll lift the gag order. And so the gag order was lifted finally. But everybody should not need press intervention to get their freedom back. They should have their freedom in the first place. If they say something that's wrong, somebody can criticize them for it. But the other way, they can't say anything at all, and it's like they're in prison. And there wow, are many that... people walking around unable to speak their mind. It's amazing how many people there are.
1: Yeah, the guardianship is very uh, to be taken very very uh, seriously. Uh, Leonie, can you give your website of where people can contact you
2: and find um, out can,
1: about what you have to um, offer?
2: Alright, at this moment the website's is being um, redone and they can contact me by email at l.rosenstiel that's spelled r-o-s-e-n-s-t-i-e-l 1 at gmail.com
1: Okay, and that's the number one.
2: The number one,
1: and one. Okay. I, can send
2: them, I can send them a list of questions to ask themselves if they think someone is in need of help.
1: Oh, uh great. So if they, well, well thank.
2: If they'd like to ask those, I can answer them for them.
1: Oh, great! And it will be in the blog, folks. Um, Leone Rosenstiel's uh, information. That's why you need to read the blog. Jeannie White, station manager, uh, writes, and thank you, Jeannie, for, for doing that and producing the show. I want to thank you, Leonie Rosenstill, for coming on, chatting with Betsy, and discussing this very important matter. I mean, um, I could talk to you several times about <laughs> uh, your book and the subject. There's, there's so much to um, to conquer. But of uh, people, I really suggest the audience go check... Um, on Amazon, where you buy books. The name of the book is Protecting Mama, Surviving the Legal Guardianship by Leonie. That's L-E-O-N-I-E, Rosenstil, R-O-S-E-N-S-T-I-E-L. That will also be in the blog. And I want to thank Lillian Caldwell, CEO of Pesher Talk Radio, that makes this all possible. If you missed any of this podcast, you can hear it all over again wherever you hear your favorite podcast. I am there, and you can – it is free to subscribe, so I recommend that because I have wonderful guests. I'm on Spotify, speaker, Apple, just to name a few. And uh, share this podcast to help other people. That's my mission and vision is to help people know about resources, hear Leone's story and other people's story to help you – So you are prepared for your future. And um, I believe in being as prepared as possible. And as I always say, in a world where you could be anything, to please be kind. And oh, before I forget, it is still June. It is Alzheimer's and Brain Awareness Month. Please take care of your brain. Please educate yourself on Alzheimer's. It's the number six killer. And if you need a support group, I have one, Hashtag Kick Alzheimer's Ass Movement. There's also Gay Pride Month and my group, Hashtag Kick Alzheimer's Ass Movement. We welcome all people from all walks of life. Alzheimer's does not discriminate, and neither do I. So I want to thank everyone for listening, sharing, and um, I just want to, again, say be kind This is Betsy Wurzel, your host of Chatting with Betsy and Passionate World Talk Radio.
0: Bye-bye now. Are you looking for an Internet talk radio station for your podcast? Look no further. At the helm of Passionate World Talk Radio are two women that want to provide a spot for you and your podcast to be heard. There are many other places for your podcast, but PWTR has the audience. You will not be disappointed. Our station has been on the Internet for the past 16 years. Call us for more information. 484-364-1032 or text Jeannie White, Station Manager at at gmail.com for our podcast show details. Thank you for listening to Passionate World Talk Radio. You can listen to this program all over again by going over to https://passionateworldtalkradio.com. Forward slash forward slash you can also hear it on Spotify, Spreaker, Amazon, A-L-E-X-A, amfm247.com, every Tuesday evening between 8 and 9 p.m. YouTube, Facebook, Facebook Live, LinkedIn, and all the other podcast directories one can find on the Internet.